and welcome to Postploitation, your exploitation podcast. I'm Daria. I'm Callum. I'm November. And after the summer of Alvin and stepping off the Valentine special that was the love epidemic, we've jumped right back into PG-rated territory with sidecar racers. <laughs> yes, no sex, no swearing, no drugs, no nudity. It was just weird. No but deep you... and controversial history. God, no. Yeah. But you still made us watch Melvin. <laughs> I will never forgive you. But uh, yeah, so this one's, yeah, and you know, I've gotten over that bug to a certain extent now with the sheer volume of casts that we've done. But this is pure exploitation through and through. It's got yeah. all the bits. Well, it doesn't have the sex and the swearing, but hardcore genre, not hardcore, genre film with a couple of ring in American actors and sort of like a deep, poor production value that was still kind of expensive. So, yeah. Yeah, million dollar budget. Got them 5.9 stars on IMDb. They are as yet unrated on Rotten.com. I am surprised it's that high on IMDb. Not not unrated on Rotten.com, sorry. (laughs) I am surprised too, although it may very well be that there's like three reviews and we know that at least one review out there is incredibly positive about this. Yeah, so on the IMDb page I read the critics' reviews and two of them are just absolutely glowing, except I think one person didn't actually watch the film. They just read the other dude's review because they both got the main character's name wrong. They call him Jay instead of Jeff. It's like, Jeff, it's written on his shirt. Yeah. It's always been weird to me that movies, especially American films and cop buddy films in particular, will only have the characters referred to by their surnames. Uh-huh. I totally get why now. Why? I really do. Because if you don't name your character something unusual, if you just have a conversation where Jeff interrupts Lynn to speak to Dave and Rick is in the background talking to Bob... It's really actually genuinely hard to follow characters. I don't recall ever having experienced that before, but I totally get why it's not Bob (laughs) and Rick and Jay and uh, Jeff. So there you go. I I guess that's why we have Jamie on as Ocker. Ocker in particular. One of his weirder roles that I honestly think he didn't necessarily know what he was doing with it. No. He has some weird reactions in there. Yeah, and I noted at least twice during the filming where he basically looked straight down the barrel of the camera after... Doing something. The, the most notable was the weird, sort of uncomfortable kiss in the garage with Lynn. And he just sort of looks to camera as if you can almost see in that half second of like, you really want to go with that take? But I guess we should start at the beginning. First, the earth cooled, then the dinosaurs came. But they got too big and fat. They all died and turned into oil. And then, sorry, anyway. And then they used the oil to power some motorbikes, which had a race. And... <laughs> oh, well what? done, Daria. Excellent segue. And one of the people in the race died. And I actually thought this start of the movie was jumping ahead to the end of the movie. I thought yeah, that too. Yeah, it was weird. Um, Stumpy's brother died. Did Stumpy's brother have a name? I think he did, but most of his importance seemed to be based on being Stumpy's brother. Yes. Yeah, I and dead. Yes. Note Stumpy. Was he the one who was... Un- no, he wasn't uncredited then. He must have been maybe one of the stunt guys, because it was the particular person, as I was going down the names of the various people to put on the whiteboard, that went, sidecar racer uncredited. And I'm like... Surely that's most of them? Yeah. But for some reason, this uncredited one was more important than all the other uncredited oh, ones. So he, may have been, he may have been a stuntman, I think, maybe, or something. Or could or have been someone who found their own movie on IMDb and put themselves uh-huh. in. <laughs> <laughs> this could be it. So, yeah, we've got a... This is a weird beast. It's an interesting film. Sorry, no. It's not. It's boring it's as. It's boring I'm really film. sorry. I know. It's not actually terrible. It's more just kind of... <sighs> I... And all these reviews saying it's this rollicking, fast-paced show. I don't it... think they watched the movie we watched. I mean, maybe if you're actually into sidecar racing, which granted none of us are. Mm. Yeah. Even when it was opening, I'm just like, do any of the passengers on these bikes still have backs and knees? 
I think they would all be gone. <laughs> I think I wrote arthritis question mark like, yeah. three or four times. But I can kind oh, of... No, that comes up later. Yeah, it, it does, yes. It does. Because I can kind of get it, because there's a, a little part of my lizard brain which enjoys... The motor, what's that? Yeah, well, the motor car thing. And in fact, there were certain sequences, especially the final one with the Bathurst race. That... I just realised everything about Panorama is kind of boring anyway, unless you're there. Sorry. The Bathurst race. Yeah. Everything there is boring unless you're actually. There. Oh no, that's what I'm saying. I totally <laughs> oh, right. get that. Oh yeah, no, because I do kind of find that stuff interesting. I like watching rallies on things. I won't seek it out, but if a race is happening in the background, I can really enjoy watching the cars go round and round, and I could feel parts of this film eking into that lizard brain aspect that I could have sat and watched it. But all the film that's built around that is just not very good. Well, really, it's a by-the-numbers sports movie. Yeah. Even though the sport is not one of the headliners like football or cricket or baseball. Yeah. In that you have the scrappy wannabes who want to get to the championship, in this case winning Bathurst to go to Europe, and it's a mix of, like, veteran or veterans and someone who has next to or no experience, and along the way one of them leaves and there's some kind of satellite love interest, and they almost don't make it at the last minute, but then everyone rejoins and puts in the effort, and they do, and they win the cup, or go to Europe, or save the youth centre, or whatever. Yes. There was no actual prize for winning, was there? There was no cup or Yeah, there was a prize. The prize was Europe. The prize was getting sponsored by a tyre company, but there was... No, no, it was Europe. That was the prize. The prize was Europe. And it was such a vague goal. Yes. It's a bit like an old video game. Your reward for winning is getting to play some more. (laughs) (laughs) I want to come back to the wannabes on that, specifically the point about the wannabes. But, uh, yeah, all right, we should stick with tradition. November, what's the review say? Two young people pursue their dream of being champion motorcycle sidecar racers on the Australian Speedway circuit. Excellent, because that leads back into the point I'm going to make. But it's also not true. No. Because <laughs> I take issue straight off the bat with their dream, wannabes. One of them doesn't want to be. One of them didn't even know this existed. One of the biggest problems I had with this film, straight out of the gate, Ben Murphy's character, Jeff Rayburn, the American, the first American they bring in for this exploitationiness, mm-hmm. the young guy, has zero dogs in this race. He yeah. has absol- He's sort of floating through life, trying different things, but he's never wanted to be a sidecar racer. He, he didn't even know it existed. Yeah. And he's not even portrayed as someone seeking... A new like thrill. a buzz or a thrill. He's just he's happy he's surfing did, and studying yeah. and doing whatever he wants. Because what was it he was studying when he was at Sydney Uni? It was law, like a wasn't it? law. Yeah, he, you know, it's not like I'm studying a degree in awesomeness from exploding heads. I just it, love that though because it was clearly 1975 what? free uni time. It's like yeah. oh, yeah, I'll just go study a few units of this. It got me thinking because I've got a big, not a big reveal, but I've got a point at the end I want to make about this film. But it hit me that there was a lot of stuff in the 70s and 80s of people being able to be vagrants without just starving to death in the cold. Yeah, yes. And I remember that again and again from, I mean, you know, and sometimes it's sort of the, the kick-off it's point, things like of, uh, Rambo or... Labor government. Uh, well, but I mean, a, a greater... A greater vibe across, yeah, both, you know, I mean, even America as well. I mean, you could have characters who literally, you know, Littlest Hobo, well, actually Littlest Hobo was a dog. But, yeah, you didn't need some supportive form of income for them to be able to do what they were, but at the same time they're not rich. Yeah, but they don't seem to have jobs. Yeah, we talked about this in Stork, that 
him leaving his job and just deciding not to do anything else was actually seen as a viable option. And I guess, I mean, if you look at something like, say, The Young Ones, was it just that the cracks in catching society's vagrants were that much wider that you could live off, well, as John well, Birmingham has students, in... students, weren't they, in... Yeah, they got the student ones? grants yeah, every well, term. A, oh, of course. Yeah, of course, in, in the UK you would. Yeah, you actually get money. I remember that, actually, when I was over there in the 90s and my cousins were like, oh, what are you going to do with your student money when you get back to Australia? I'm like, I don't know. And then I got back to Australia and was like, we're not going to pay you money? to be a student. That's not how it works. <laughs> actually, it did in Australia, briefly. You would study and you get a stipend for studying. Yeah, that's true. But then that changed very quickly and it became Oz study where they would pay for most of your course, but then only if you met certain obligations and yes. But... It does seem like there was this period, and I'm weirdly in real life too, because Penn Jillette talks about the fact that he spent a period for a couple of years just hitchhiking around the country. Yeah, but Penn works since he was like 13 or 14 or something. Yeah, but he wasn't doing it with large amounts of money behind him. He just no. literally lived off whatever you got. So things like soup kitchens or whatever and, you know, if you look at the Dharma bums and you look at all of that kind Dharma of... Dharma bums. Dharma bums were the group of people like Jack Kerouac and others who kind of shunted away from getting like a proper job. I mean, that was what Rick Mayle's character wanted to be in mm, The Young mm. Ones. You were able to live and you could walk away. housing didn't cost 60% of your income? Yeah, with your spray-on mm. jeans and your double denim and your knapsack over your shoulder. And unemployment income was still at least kind of in pace with the cost of living? Mm, yeah. Anyway, long story short, we have Ben Murphy, the American who's over there. He's ex-Olympic athlete. Yeah. But there's no real suggestion that he's re-seeking that competitive sports drive. In fact, he's he's pushed away from it. He says it's not particularly interesting to him. So already we have one half of the tight-knit duo of the sidecar racers. And I think these people are meant to be young, and they seriously look late 30s. (laughs) But I think we've talked about that before. That was very definitely a thing of its era. Yeah, Yeah. there is a point where one of them refers to them as kids. Yeah, and And I looked it up. The character Jeff, the actor, was 33 years old. Dave was 36. Lynn was 22. Lynn looked older than 22, i got to say. Yeah. She looked fabulous, though. Oh, yeah, fine. But by modern standards, I would have guessed she was older. And, well, I did. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, we didn't use sunscreen back then. <laughs> so kick straight out of the gate with a race. Straight over the opening credits. And we've got what was at the time relatively good quality footage of a sidecar race. And, of yeah. course, this is one of the things. The, the there was some really good camera work in this. Film. There was some great camera work. There's... And I could totally see someone coming to Australia, seeing a sidecar race, going, yeah, hell yeah, I want to make a film of that. And that's pretty much exactly what happened, only they didn't make a very good film. They should have just made a documentary about sidecar racing. Because some of the stuff about... That actually about... could have been more interesting. Exactly. Some of the stuff about sidecar racing... That would have been is... way more interesting. Yes, Yes, rather than sticking this suggestion that you need to dramatise it, because, yeah, anyway, we'll get to that further down the line. But, yeah, you know, you could just make a documentary about it. It would be more cohesive for a start. You know, follow a particular genuine group of people that are trying to make it big. Maybe, you know, getting across to Europe was a big thing. And some of the stuff in this is real. Speedway sidecar motorcycles do not have brakes. Mm. That shit is real. Even now, they don't have brakes. All the I mechanics... do wonder if they have... Do they have any safety standards now? Because they clearly did not when they made this film. I would guess they must have improved things since then because I know laws have changed for pretty much everything else. Yeah. But I just can't imagine how you could make that sport any safer and this, other than terrain. This is the big thing about motorcycles. We've kind of hit the limit 
of what you can do to make motorcycling safe. The suits are yeah. as crash-proof as they can be. The motorcycles are incredible, but at the end of the day, you're still basically free-holding onto an engine, and if something goes wrong, there's nothing stopping you from sanding your body down until you are just a head in a helmet. It is yeah. one of those on things that if you were to have the idea from scratch without any history behind it, you'd probably dismiss it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't think that's a great way to get around. We partly think it is now because we came from bicycles. We came from when motorizing a bicycle wasn't that fast. Yeah. When we didn't really care if we died each day. Mm. And, it, yeah, the motorbike, great for getting through traffic. Yep. So... Well, you look at... Yeah, some... you're right. You look at anything that's come as a form of transport since then and more recently, just the vast number of hoops that the Segway people needed to jump through or the one-wheel people or the hoverboard people needed to jump through. Not not real hoverboards, sorry, not hoverboards from Back to the Future hoverboards, but the real well, hoverboardy thing. Well, catching on fire. Well, yes, that was a separate issue. Now remember, not too soon or we'll end up in the middle of the track. And not too later, we'll do what they just did. Pull the nails out of the fence. Right. Okay, look, keep your eye on me for the first couple of laps and hit the brakes if I'm not getting the hang of it, okay? There aren't any brakes. That's part of the rules on these speedway tracks. This is actually one of the things, I think, which, again, for me in this movie, suggested that they should have perhaps made a documentary rather than a dramatic film. Because one of the other problems with the fact that because motorcycles aren't overly safe, it's very difficult to make a motorcycle stunt look dangerous. Huh. Because... Also, it, they sort of look dangerous by default. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that feeds into the narrative. I totally get that. That's kind mm -hmm. of okay. But if you then need someone to come off or, you know, or, or the, the motorcycle to sort of collapse under them, I mean, you can't just drive two empty motorcycles at each other mm. without doing some very careful editing and spending a lot of money on some properly articulated dummies. So it There was did... a lot of sped up footage in the movie. There was a lot of sped up footage. You see that also in Mad Max and a couple of others when there was a lot less safety features. And as we know from documentaries like Not Quite Hollywood, safety wasn't necessarily no. a big thing back when <laughs> these films were made anyway. You know, you've really only got a couple of options, which is you capture genuine crash footage and there's a very yeah. definite ethical moral problem with that. Or you fake it, and you can only ever fake it to a certain extent. We'll probably eventually, we will eventually do Stone, where one of the things was a motorcyclist riding off the side of a, of a cliff into the sea, and that was horrendously dangerous. And the only yes, way they I could do imagine. it was by riding a motorcyclist, you know, off the edge of a cliff. So it does unfortunately mean that if you don't have a ton of money and lots of cameras and very well-trained stunt people that have been doing it for years, your dramatic sequences can look a little bit hokey. And there was a lot in this film that looked a little bit hokey. Million bucks is a pretty decent budget. It should have been at the time. 1975. It was a little hard to... I guess maybe the Bathurst race was where a lot of the money would have gone. It so did. They upgraded mm. all the bikes for a start. Yeah. Although I'm going to be honest, some of the names... I mean, Peter Graves, we haven't got to him yet because we haven't done the opening sequence yet. Um, <laughs> but Peter Graves was a big actor. Big yeah. time in, in America at the time. John Mallion had a reputation behind him, and he was only a secondary appearance in this. Ben Murphy wasn't too bad either. I mean, very much TV. So I can kind of see where the money went. But, yeah, unlike other movies where you look at the film, like Plug, and you go, where the hell did any money end up? So, yeah, so we have an opening 
sequence. We have, yeah, as same as you, I thought it was a flash forward initially. I thought it was the closing sequence we would come back to. Oh, we thought we, the DVD started in the wrong spot. Yeah, I do remember you mentioning that. It's like, have we have we skipped a whole bunch? Yeah, and, uh, and that was the second time. And so we have Dave Ferguson with his offsider, Stumpy's dad, who... Stumpy's brother. Stumpy's brother, brother, sorry. Who is his sidecar... Passenger. Yes, which is basically human ballast. Yeah, which is kind of weird because for those who haven't heard the expression, usually in Australian sports talk, a passenger is someone who's useless. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I was really surprised that that is the actual word. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, what we're racing are motorcycles with sidecars and that's where your passenger sits, who sits there and does nothing. Although, yes, in this instance, they do a tonne. And interestingly, a tonne of different stuff depending on the type of sidecar too. Because when we were watching this, there were three very different types of sidecar. Yeah. You've got your oval sidecar motorbike, where you basically have the two guys... Oh, yeah, so don't picture, like, a normal motorcycle sidecar. No. Yeah, you're not fully... Absolutely different to that. Yeah, they're almost seated together. They're very close. In some of them. And that's... Yeah. yeah, And that's the thing. You've got three pretty unique disciplines within this, and they make reference to that because you really need three three motorbikes. They've got the dirt spinning one. The car equivalent is those cars you see with the massive fins on the top. I'm symboling with what my hands. What are you talking about? The They're, dirt spinning one. Yeah, the dirt. It, basically, it's a dirt oval. Right. And the cars are pretty much in constant drift. And what you have are two huge fins. You've got a big fin and a slightly smaller fin right. on them. Yeah. And they're a cage. Basically, yeah. and in fact, there's another. Oh no, we watched it. Midnight spares. They were racing those types of cars, and that's the one where there was the fatality during the footage that they uh, were filming. Yeah. So you got the motorcycle, yeah. and John Clayton was also in that. Ah, you're so good at this. So that motorcycling is almost basically yeah, they're riding double dinking, as we used to call it when we were yeah. kids. So you've got your passenger behind you who occasionally gets off the seat and kind of hangs out over the side using what's basically just a piece of welded pipe. And if you haven't seen this, press pause and just look up some sidecar racing Mm. because it's insane. Oh, yeah. Then you've got your second type of sidecar racing, which was the dirt bike motocrossy one, which they are mostly sitting on the sidecar and they're pretty much on a flat piece of metal, which is welded to the side of the motorbike. Mm. And sometimes they will be crouching and sometimes they'll be... Well, the thing that struck me was they look almost like chariot racers. Yes. When they're yeah. in that. And I think that was the one where you commented in November particularly about how bad are their knees. And then you've got the final one, which was the one we saw, which is the Bathurst-type sidecar racing, where it's very similar. It's just a piece of flat metal, but it's crazy aerodynamic, or at least it was for the time. Yeah. And they, there was such a difference in styles. Yeah, and they're lying down, really, and it's almost like bloody bobsled, and it's more about shifting. Mm. So, yeah, you've got different disciplines within the discipline i guess but we open with the motocross version the in-betweeny one where they're you know chariot racing were you surprised that the one girl wasn't interested like wasn't a racer i ceased being surprised by the one girl character about 20 minutes into the movie i have issues with her character same far beyond anything bechdelli it's just i genuinely don't know what she was for yeah. To be a possession of one or the other of the men. Uh, oh, yeah. And it, oh to have violent mood swings because women, am I right? Oh, my God. <laughs> there, I actually wrote down at one point, it seemed like there was a point where she was literally just there to say the direct opposite of what Jeff, Ben Murphy's character, wanted to or should do. Like, yes. literally, she introduces them. Yeah, and I don't ride sidecars. Why don't you learn? And immediately tries to talk him out of becoming the sidecar passenger. Jeff, don't go through with it. Once he gets on that bike, he forgets all about you. Sorry, the opening sequence. 
<laughs> right. So we're watching a race. Dave Ferguson, the motorbike rider, wins the race or is about to, and they have a crash. And he kills his, his offsider, stands over the body, looking down because... Well, that makes it sound like he actually it. kills Well, him. yeah, no, that's yeah, true. They have a um, smash. They have a the smash. The passenger comes off because there um, are no mechanisms to stop him just coming yeah. off a bike. Yeah, Lynn. and the impact absorber is a bunch of tyres, which, well, depending on the tyres, often isn't much better. No. Lynn is there as well. She's... Upset, I guess, because she puts on upset face for half a second. At Dave's tragedy, Dave has a single tear roll down his face, which I thought was sweat. And suddenly we cut to AN time in the future. Yeah. yeah. Well, moreover, we do that sort of weird dissolve mixing, which says to me, oh, now we've flashed back. Yeah. So I yeah. guess we're going to meet someone now who will die at the end of the movie, and that's them. And that actually kind of would have made more sense because we didn't need to see this character die because really, whether we're talking about that character's death all the time, yeah, it really made this character the Thomas and Martha Wayne of the movie in that their death is the centre point and we have to see it even though there is no way we're going to miss the fact that they're dead. And why yeah. didn't it become... It's a tight-knit community. Why didn't it become a massive deal? Why weren't there people questioning why they do what they do? Or is it just that common? Alright, this is going to be one of the first many times, and I want to apologise now, that I will mention <laughs> Days of Thunder. Because the fact... <laughs> the fact of the matter is as un-anything as Days of Thunder is, and I actually happen to really like Days of Thunder. If you want to watch this movie, watch Days of Thunder and imagine they're doing it on motorbikes. Because basically on pretty much every note... Days of Thunder does it well. And I'm not just talking about production values and the fact that it was made with bigger stars and anything, mm. because they do exactly that. They establish a death in the character's past. You don't need to have seen, yeah, because it's referenced later on. They establish a desire in the characters, which isn't necessarily present in this film. Now, again, I recognise this is an Australian-made movie for a decent budget at the time yeah. of a particular, a very, very specific genre, and you don't have the soundtrack and you don't have the amazing production values... But I could not help while I was watching this continually thinking it was done better here and not just because it was a better film, but it was done better here because they had a better vision of what they were trying to do. And so, yeah, so the death, it wasn't necessary. You exposition that stuff. You leave it as a weird darkness. You know, why is this guy strangely being shunned? Why does Stumpy have such a big chip on his shoulder about it? Exactly. And then you then ride Jeff Rayburn's shoulders... And learn it at the same time as he does. That's what Jeff's character is for. Jeff's character is there to be our Teach or, us. audience surrogate. Yeah, yeah. yeah and um, it's something I've seen in other movies, not just sport movies and things, where they have an audience surrogate character, but before we meet them, we have something we should be deeper into the movie to comprehend or f- grab the weight of. And I think by the time you find out deaths happened and it happened to this guy's last passenger, which was Stumpy, by that point, we've passed enough time and action in the movie that you're going, oh, that must have been that guy at the start. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more just sort of working out what a leftover piece of footage is as opposed to feeling the real impact. Yeah. And so what you have here, I guess, is a... They've told us the same thing twice. They tell us what's happened by showing us at the start and then they tell us what happened by telling us what happened with nothing else. Yes, Callum. But the point I was going to say about Days of Thunder is that that is actually one of the subplots of Days of Thunder, is that it does happen. There are crashes. There are accidents. And... Everyone knows involved in the industry that it's dangerous. In fact, there's a big sort of... One of the kind of sort of semi-cool speeches uh, during the film. 
about how you don't make money from it, it's crazy dangerous, it's almost always a family thing as well, so the sons, and I mean this is in real life too, you know, yeah. you, you've got the same surnames in a lot of racing kind yeah, of family yeah. because they get involved, but yeah, it's dangerous and you could end up on the wall, so you just sort of pretend it doesn't happen. Now in Days of Thunder, they make that a whole subplot about the guy who has had an accident to the point where he's actually injured his brain, refusing to accept it, Yeah, and also Tom Cruise's character not jumping on the you-need-to-stop-racing thing because he also is in full denial because you ever tell a racer that they can't yeah. race and it's the end of the world. But that just doesn't come across in this. No. Uh, yeah. So now we have the surfing. Lynn sees this guy surfing and thinks balance and control, he should be a new passenger. As far as we know, they've never spoken a word to each other. Yeah. Yeah, and as far as we know, she didn't watch him for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Yes, and why him? Like, a lot of people surfed on the beach. That is Could have e been anybody. That is exactly what I wrote down. I said, why would he be the one? Because I think she actually says to Dave, you know, he's the one. It's like, why would he be the one? He's just good at surfing, and it's not like there's not a lot of surfers in Australia. Yeah. This kind of Australia's sort of... They're known more for their surfers than they are for their sidecar race. <laughs> so the idea that some visiting American could suddenly be spectacularly, awesomely the one because and he's a sport he'd never heard of before this. And in fact, he crashes out when we first see him. We didn't even mention the shoplifting. No. Was that meant to be a test? I don't... If it was a movie about shoplifting, sure. Yeah, it, it was kind of a weird... But you like this little rich girl. Well, hang on. This is clearly a rip-off store because they were charging $8 for a pair of sunglasses. Well, $2 that... bottle of wine was the good stuff. <laughs> Mind you, I do know places you can get sunglasses that would cost four times as much as a good bottle of wine. But... <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it was after his first surfing session and they flirty not flirted on the beach, Jeff puts on what the Terminator wears when he first rocks up after he's cleaned out the punks. And this is apparently supposed to be... A while later, not just because obviously they're not at the beach anymore, because he's like, mm. oh, I remember you from the beach. Mm. Yeah. So he had to put that together. When she was making faces at him in the mirror, he didn't think, ah, there's the woman who must have just come straight from the beach. Yeah. Mm. He didn't know who she was at first. No. So did she follow him? Did she just happen to run into him again while she was she has got boosting to be following him. him? Yeah. Now, and then we have a completely pointless sequence where she's busted. Yeah. They both get dragged into the manager's office and the manager just reiterates that the guy's an ex-Olympic athlete because he's already told her that on the beach, hasn't he? Or not? Oh, I don't think so. He no. hasn't told the whole Olympics thing. He's basically said he likes surfing. Okay, so he's exposition manager. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, <laughs> which makes the whole thing kind of weird, although I guess it does get the job done. But it does make it sound like there's another huge tragedy attached to Jeff, but if there mm. is, we never hear about no, it. No, that's right. Because the manager no. goes, well, I kind of feel sorry for the boy. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Because he's just yeah. decided to do something other than what he was doing before. Oh, and he was speaks... he mistreated in Australia last time or yeah. something? Yeah. I forget. He makes it sound like in very general terms that after these guys have peaked and then there's not much for them. But mm. but you needed to cut a lot of that so you could stick in some more motorbike footage. <laughs> yeah, but this is where some kind of... And Jeff left swimming because his yeah. cousin died or something yeah. Yeah. goes that he wasn't there... When his aunt passed away because he was off in the Olympic pool, yeah, and that was a tragedy that put him off it forever. That he saved yeah. two kids from drowning, but he couldn't save the third, and now yeah. can't look at a pool he, anymore. He turned after winning his match and high fived his teammate and missed the hand, and instead smacked him in the forehead, which forced him to go under and immediately drown because he was right at the end of a swim and was totally out of breath. <laughs> 
I could write an album movie. Um, <laughs> it just makes it sound like those guys don't always do so well, so I'll let him off for shoplifting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're talking to each other outside the store, and there is a woman in the background clearly staring straight at the filming and then when it cuts back she's away and I thought initially oh well they've clearly told her to move on yeah. and then it cuts back one more time and you see she's actually slightly to the side so I don't know whether they've re-shunted because she will obviously not stop looking and it makes me wonder how many takes at a million dollars Australian how many takes of certain sequences they did I really kind of get the impression they just want okay we'll do this and this and this and this we'll get that take excellent let's go do some more motorcycle filming and, and the shoplifting didn't even make sense unless it's no. the poor little rich girl thing because she's carrying after show she could have been going up to him saying honey i'm not stealing this how do you feel about this aftershave and she clearly had money because she ends up giving some to dave yeah. and then taking some back for a taxi and she's not poor because she's the Her daughter of rich. carson so yeah like i said yeah that's also fed into this whole weird bloody common peopling aspect too so I just, yeah, is this yeah. some kind of just stealing for the thrill of it or mm. is that some hella great aftershave and she just had to get some for Ocker? Yeah, well, that's it. I yeah. don't know. And yeah, just... I know. It's not for her dad. Why is she buying Ocker presents? What's I... that relationship? We've established that... Yeah, well, that's the other thing. There's no relationship. Yeah, the... because they kind of don't actually speak much after that. No, but they're kiss near the mouth close. Yeah. Yeah. When you see that part on its own, it's kind of like they've got I the kind... I thought they were going to be a couple. <laughs> or at least like a kind of a father-son sort of surrogate relationship, maybe. Oh, sorry, Father-daughter? No. Father-daughter, sorry. Father-daughter. Yeah, because that bit alone seemed like it was kind of, oh, we've got the kind of relationship where sometimes if I see something you like, I buy it for you and, you know, yeah, it yeah, all works right. out in the long run. Mm. Howdy. Hi. Lynn was telling me about this last night. I think she might be able to handle a sidecar for me. Same sense of balance, only if you fall off, you don't land in nice soft water. What are you trying to tell me? It's not kid stuff? Yeah, it's about it. Because that's how Sophie works. So yeah, so it's not even like he's amazingly good at it. And this, of course, is another one of the things that's very tricky to portray when you're talking about a very specific genre of a physical event, whether it be surfing or whatever. If you don't establish the rules early on, the audience won't be able to see that a particular person is good at the thing mm. as opposed to somebody else who's not. Because it's not like he starts off being good at sidecar racing, but then it's so frustrating because <laughs> his driver won't teach him anything. <laughs> yeah, we're leaping ahead, but that bugged me too, that Dave's lot in life is to simply tell his sidekick passenger... You'll figure it out. ...as little as possible. Yeah. yeah. And when you're fucking up. And also, I'm sorry, but your training montage... No one trains during actual races. We see one, <laughs> one learning session where they've booked the track for a period when everyone else has booked the track, and then it appears that the other two times they're in learning mode there, is actual race. races? Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, fine, you can be my rally driver and we'll just, you know, we'll do Pike's Peak. Just learn the words as we go along, and, you know, if you get them wrong and tell me in the wrong direction, we'll go flying off a cliff. But, yeah, there's... Mm, yes. And while I'm sure, to a degree, it's accurate... When Jeff asks him how this is actually done, he just says, oh, you just got to feel it. Yeah. Mm. That is not useful tutelage. No. He has no idea what he's supposed to be feeling. No. I don't understand why Jeff stays. Like, he goes for the girl. He learns that the girl is taken. Mm -hmm. Sorry, not in a Liam Neeson way. She's in a relationship. <laughs> Maybe Dave has an incredibly amazing set of skills. And Dave's just an asshole to him. Dave is an asshole. Mm. There is... What's in it for Jeff, our main dude? And that was my biggest single problem with this, and that's why if this had been a doco, it would have been okay. But if you want to make a film out of this, 
fine, have some tension. There are different levels of tension you can have between your protagonists. You can have sexual tension with a third party. Also, this was written by a novelist, which I find interesting. And this is what I don't get. I mean, again, I'm not a writer and I've made film, but you've got to balance tension with goals. And Jeff doesn't care about Europe. No, Jeff could go to Europe and he's... Jeff has has no dog in this race. You've got the sexual tension one. You've got the fact that Dave's an asshole. You've got six or seven different tensions that you see in various other movies. Yeah. But none of the common goals you need. When I was actually talking to a friend of mine about this movie, they kind of got it and they said, you know, you need a reason why they're sitting at the table sharing a drink. Yeah. There's no reason why they're sitting at a table sharing a drink. And in fact, there's a sequence in the first half of the film when Jeff has actually quit his wherever he's living and is going to move in with Dave. And they have a big Barney as he arrives. And he's like, what am I doing here? And he's about to turn away and walk away. Yeah. I'm like, yes, yes. What are you doing there? Go away. Yeah. yeah. Why did you go straight from high to we should live together because... Yeah. Because you'll learn all about motorcycles if we live together. Yeah, and, to, oh, but well, I won't tell you anything or teach you in any way. To, oh, well, I'll leave then. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't need to have a dog in any kind of race. No. And maybe... And maybe... why is Lynn in a relationship with Dave anyway? Oh, because he's free, apparently. Yeah, I mean, look, you. Mm, I mean, that's another one again, is the Lynn-Dave relationship. I mean, it's almost like a Homer Marge relationship. Like, Dave has nothing going for him at this point. He's burned out, washed out. He's killed, what, two passengers or three passengers by this stage? Because we've seen one, but there's a reference to the fact that he's a previous couple. Maybe one or two have died as well. Oh, wow. He should be Um, out of this business. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Maybe it's because he trains new people, picks them off off surfboards and doesn't teach them how to do what they do. This could be a thing. And So Lynn is like a a spotter for murder. Lynn is... Sexy lampshade. Big time sexy lampshade. Although, yeah, and not even a trophy. Because as we establish again and again through the film, she's not available to Jeff. Mm. Except for that one point where they weirdly share a kiss. Because, you know, the one thing I want to do after I have a, a really great day with a male friend of mine and if Brooke's tagging along is let them kiss Brooke. Because, you know, that's apparently the way men just share stuff. Yeah, but it's like Dave knows <sighs> that... Lynn and Jeff are kind of interested in each other. It's like, oh, I will let you have this moment. Do you know that thing? I don't know if there's a particular word for it. It's a trope. It's where the bad guy in a film, good guy's doing something, and it's usually where you've got this kind of a dynamic where the good guy is trying to infiltrate the bad guys. Right. Whatever. And the bad guy almost looks like they know what's going on. They see that there's the sexual tension with the bad guy's woman, and then... They trust them anyway. I'm thinking a couple of the Fast and Furious movies do it and things like that. That seems to be what Dave is setting himself up for. He's accepting this incredibly good-looking, interesting American surfer dude that has, you know, literally caught the eye of his... Stop literally caught the eye, Kelly. No, no, sorry, when I say literally caught the eye, like, I don't mean literally caught the eye as in caught the physical eye. (laughs) So don't say literally! All right. I don't, but I mean has, has... No, because it's literally... The point I'm trying to make is... (laughs) The point I'm trying to make is that she has seen him and been impressed by him. She has literally been specifically impressed by him. And so now Dave feels that's the comfortable person to bring into the fold? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, that's what I mean. I don't say... My, my literally was like a couple of things down. But yeah, so I don't know what he's doing. He's setting himself up for a fall. You could argue if you've established this person as a really genuinely self-destructive character, which he kind of is, 
then maybe you can go with that idea that he's intentionally... Do you win two Olympic gold medals if you're really self-destructive? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean Dave is self-destructive. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, he really doesn't have any redeeming features. Not that Jeff has many. No. It seems the Halfling's thing is to dangle the potential of having her in front of Jeff. Yeah. Mm. As if she knows that's the sort of possession object she is. And, of course... Dave gets mad because she's his, although there's also this sub-thread of they're not boyfriend and girlfriend. Right near the start, when Mm. her dad, Carson, paid by Peter Graves, says something about your boyfriend. She's like, don't call him that. Well, this is the thing, because I didn't think it's established that they're even together until about a third of the way through the film, when they share their first peck, I suppose. Mm. Yes. It seems like a bit more like she's just some vagrant, almost... The kiss, like, she kissed Ocker... Mm. She kissed her dad. She kissed Jeff. I just thought she kisses people. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. She seems like a pov tourist, touring poverty. She's yeah. common peopling. Common people. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, you're right. I mean, that's what it seemed like, because why else did she get involved? Because she doesn't even seem particularly interested in motorcycle racing. No. The only person who's interested at all is Dave. Yeah. What are Lynn's interests? What are Jeff's interests? Oh, my God. Go on. Well, you have the guy who's come in from the outside. Uh-huh. You've got the woman that they're attracted to. Yeah. You've got this kind of cadre group of races of which there's a weird link to this particular character and another person. And you've also got this sideliner of Ocker, John Malian's character, who's running the local parts supplier. Yeah. This is the original Fast and Furious without the police. Oh, my God, it is. Oh, my God. It's... (laughs) It's like some, someone... Except he doesn't keep saying family. <laughs> but this is the thing. It's like somebody recognised that this movie was almost a story and were like, you just need a goal. And gave Jeff, Ben Murphy's character, a reason to hang around. He needs to infiltrate. Because if you don't have that need for him to be there... Yeah. Because it's not even like you're teaching him a useful skill. You're no, teaching him right. something that will get him killed. Yeah. I wonder if he recognises how dangerous it is. Like, at any point, is he told, look, the last bloke died. Yeah. Want to jump on and have a go? I think when they have a couple of their gang fights and the, you know, the baddies, the jets and the sharks kind of weird gang thing, it's made pretty clear that previously, you know, Dave's riders have died. But I think we're meant to imagine it's a big revelation when Ben sees the first dead body, when you see the big crash after the race that they win. Oh, you bloody beauty, weren't we great? It wasn't bad, was it? Did you catch those moves? Never too early, never too late? Fantastic, you look like you've been riding together for years. Oh, wasn't we? were bloody marvellous. I tell you what, sport in Europe next year will take on anyone. All right, we start saving today, then. Wait a minute, you better make that tomorrow, because tonight we're going to celebrate. <laughs> Go on, give him one. We're partners in everything today. <laughs> hey, that's enough. Don't make a meal of it. <laughs> Rapid fire some... Yeah, we've gone a bit more than even sometimes we normally do. So, (laughs) very quickly, this is a story about sidecar racing in Australia, which is about a team of two motorcyclists, a motorcycle rider and a passenger who perform a series of races. And what we have here is the classic story of the almost washed up, desperate to become successful racer who needs help getting there 
and enlists the assistance of somebody who has no actual commitment or any reason to be Knowledge, there. Knowledge, experience, um, desire. Uh, a young and upcoming person. They have a series of wacky hijinks over the course of the film, slowly resolving... They do their, not have wacky hijinks. Slowly resolving <laughs> their various tensions before coming together at the very end to win the prize of Europe. <laughs> and resolving all the various issues, except that they don't resolve anything at all, and at the very end, our hero wanders off into the rain. Yeah, just walks off. Yeah. And he really doesn't seem to have any self-interest much at all. No. And he's not even necessarily got a problem, because you could argue that... Does he just like being mistreated? No, well, possibly. Maybe he's just just a massive masochist, and this is the way he gets his... gets his resolution. If it weren't for the part where he reconsiders being a sidecar racer at all after the other guy dies, not really directly as a consequence of sidecar racing, yeah. I'd almost think he had that condition where you can't conceive of danger or adverse effects to yourself and so you'll just go with anything. Yeah. Mm. That movie, uh, that I think I might have mentioned it before, Jeff Bridges' Fearless, is a really good exploration to that. I mean, it starts with a plane crash that he survives, so his psychosis comes from a very specific thing that he manages to survive and convinces himself he's become invincible. But yeah, yeah. you have that kind of reckless, like, uber teenage... So what is it? It's that late teen, early 20s point where you're at the highest risk-taking of your brain because you can't conceive of the idea of mortality of yourself at the same time as you've got the most sort of hormonal juices to be, you know, risk-taking and, you know, try new stuff. It's why your pea platers end up parked up trees and, you know, kids get in fights and stuff at pubs because that's the point where they're most aggressive and most adventurous and most... with minimal self... Or um, they're Australian and they're just pissed. <laughs> yeah, no, well, no, that's so it, being drunk can induce a similar state. Well, yeah, and you know, you could argue that most late teens, early twenties are pretty much in a constant state of drunk. But no, it's been suggested that that's why humanity has evolved because that's the point to get out of the, the rut that you're in. You need the risk takers. You need that particular group, and so you get that high risk, high mortality age group. And in modern times, when you've got medical coverage in some countries and other stuff, you get your high risk group have got less risk attached. But yeah, you might be right. And they've got airbags. They do? In the cars. Oh, right, okay. I was about to say, that's really cool. <laughs> How amazing would that be if just every time there was a crisis, you could just airbag. <laughs> Have you seen the footage of the guy who's driven his Dodge Ram up against a pole in oh, America? Oh, yeah. And he backs off, and then the whole thing kind of airbags, and his MAGA hat goes flying out of the window. <laughs> it's like the airbag smacked it off his face. <laughs> we don't know if it's a MAGA hat, it's just a red hat. Oh, it's a red hat, yes. <laughs> so we established that Ben Murphy, the... Maybe if you could even argue that he's trying to come to terms with why he would let a promising career as an Olympic athlete go by the wayside. Maybe there's some internal conflict no, he, he needs to... But that's the thing. Yeah, that's my point. He's oh, right. got nothing. Yeah. If you establish oh, that see, he's got a conflict, but he's just... Yeah, and as far as we can tell, he stopped swimming because he just retired and felt like stopping. Yeah. There's no indication that he simply stopped doing as well and slipped out of the sport yeah. or that he got injured or that no. something occurred to remove him from the, from the sport. He just seems like, oh, I chose to stop and I did, which is fine, but it seems that that's his entire lack of motivation for everything is 
Oh, and then I did it. If there'd been some discussion, and maybe there was, because this is the thing. Which if, kind of means his art is he's alive at the beginning of the film and at the end. Is, yes, <laughs> exactly. And and this is the thing. If you could suggest that the plot has been written by a novelist, maybe a lot of shit ended up on the cutting room floor. Maybe. Because that feeds into something I wrote down, which is especially towards the end when we're watching the Bathurst race. The people who made this, or at least the producers, they, they're clearly fans of... Speed racing. Something about sidecar racing has attracted their attention. So it struck me that they're the kind of people who would have ended up with a ton of footage. You know, they've clearly yeah. got a lot of cameras and a lot of different shots. They've got a lot of different angles. So you end up with these sequences that go for way too long when they're racing because when I say they go too long, it's they're just they're not going anywhere. They're not establishing a particular point of danger on the track. They're not establishing mm. a particular move. You can absolutely pound your audience with the visceral energy of what you're seeing. And this is, again, referencing Days of Thunder. When you watch some races, the races are full on. Yeah. But there's only a very small amount of those races that are just cars passing each other. Yes. Almost all those races and things like, you know, Fast and Furious and those ones, there is a conversation or there is a plot happening within the race very quickly that you establish. Mm-hmm. Days of Thunder does it by establishing a particularly dangerous corner and then there's a continual kind of cat and mouse game between the drivers. Your Fast and Furiouses, they are very quick second to second and you see each pass being important, you know, when one yeah. character passes another. This is just large amounts of where they're driving at each other and you're not getting any kind of... The races aren't telling a story. They're just a race. Yes. And you start a race when your character is on the bike and you end the race when the character has fallen off the bike and then they fight, or when the character has fallen off the bike and one of them has died, or when a character has made it through to the end and they haven't died. And that's... Um, also not enough, like, just race footage that you become invested in it as a race. No. It's yeah. not like a bunch of races with some bits of plots stuck between them stringed together. No. It doesn't go far enough in that direction that you could say, oh, this is really just an excuse to show some cool racing footage. Yeah. yeah. And that was the thing where I was saying, I was beginning to feel in certain sequences that little lizard part of my brain being, you know, the bit that says I can sit back on the couch with a drink and maybe do something else and have the race going in the background. Oh, and yeah, really especially when, it. like, they've got their shoulder nearly on the road or their head. Those little parts, when they're showing how close in the final mm. race the sidecar guys are to the actual to ground. Death, to having yeah. their head removed. There's, I'm not suggesting that there aren't sequences where you watch these and you go, holy fuck, that's dangerous as hell. Because obviously, quite clearly, towards the end in particular, you've got real racers doing their real thing. And I'm not suggesting it's not dangerous. I'm not suggesting it's not... Yeah. But it isn't... Yeah, as Daria says, it's not a race and it's not a story. It's a lot of high-speed cut sequences back and forth. And when I say that they ended up with a lot of footage, there are certain sequences which are played a couple of times. You can recognise the same bit again and again. You recognise the same angles. And indeed, you know, as you said, there's some stuff that's sped up and some stuff that's not. So there is the movie The Original Gone in 60 Seconds, which is a famous low-budget film. And as I've referenced it, it's a porn movie with cars. Is that low-budget? Oh, the original one was. Oh, the original. Sorry. Sorry, yes. Um, and it is a porn movie with cars, and I mean that in... in oh, okay, I'm going to use the word literal again in its figurative sense. I mean that in its almost literal way. If you took a porn <laughs> movie and you excised every bit that was sex and you replaced it with cars, that's what Gone in 60 Seconds is. It is bad acting, bad audio. The original. Bad acting, bad audio. Weird camera shots, incredibly yeah. uncomfortable actors. But every now and again you show car porn. 
Yeah. And it finishes with a famously for the time really like long, long chase long chasing, but each part of it is building up to the next stunt building yeah. up to the next stunt and you watch a little bit more and you get the really cool car and then it's building up to the next stunt and this was just a bit patchy unlike the Nicolas Cage gone in 60 seconds which is fantastic in every <laughs> single way <laughs> it is a classy quality film sorry I went on a bit of a bit of a rant there but I wanted to get that out there that it was it yeah it, a little unsatisfying and maybe that was one of the things I found about it was that it was unsatisfying now and I'm trying to think I guess at the time, 1975, that would have been unusual footage. Certainly some oh, of the absolutely. camera shots and the rolling yeah. stock and stuff. But Yeah, there's just... some really great camera work in this. Oh, yeah, yeah. The footage is incredible. And insofar as I guess what we're seeing is the writer's internal experience of what sidecar racing was to them and wanting to capture mm. that, I'll give them that. But, yeah, there wasn't a story played out in the races. So we have Lynn goes... Finds Jeff on his surfboard, gets him to come back to the place. Mm. Oh, then tells Dave he's cooking dinner for the new guy whose girl has a crush on. Yeah. Dave is apparently a good cook. Yeah. Dave, Dave does yeah. Yes. himself as a cook. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. He asks if Jeff has any preferences food-wise. He says, anything untouched by human hands. What does that mean? I, I thought he was making a comment on the fact that at that point in time, Dave's hands were covered in oil. Oh, I know it used to be a big hygiene slogan that food wasn't touched by human hands. There are robots making the food? I think the idea is that you were wearing gloves or not touching it directly or, or something. Yeah. Yeah, or, or using serving things, yeah. Actually, late 70s, early 80s was big on technology with food. So true. It didn't even need to be anything that made any sense. It was just yeah. lots of e-numbers and science on your food and stuff. So, yeah, maybe. Yeah, so, so it probably doesn't relate to what Dave's going to do because Dave's probably going to touch it like no one's business, but I can see mm. where he's coming from. But then we have Lynn a bit later saying, don't go through with this. Once Dave's going, he forgets that you're there, talking about being the passenger on the bike. Go yes. get good in there. Now you want him to leave. I mean, we do too. We want him to leave. <laughs> yes. And there's also nothing really to suggest that for all Dave's problems, disregarding his passenger is one of them. Yeah. I don't know if they keep dropping dead. He, well, well he, not dropping dead, but he if cares, he keeps killing him. But this is one of those things where Dave is a better racer than his passengers can be. Because what I kind of got oh, was that's that what, Dave yeah, okay, yeah, constantly runs his bike to the limit and he just needs a racer as good as that him. Can keep up with him. Except, of course, then you've got Rick Horton, the elder of the two Hortons, suggesting that he's never going to be as good a racer as Rick will be. So Rick, played by Peter Gwynn, I think it is, yeah, Peter Gwynn's the older guy, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, so Peter Gwynn, who is actually, he's, he's, you know, a little bit of a stalwart of Aussie film. I mean, as, as a lot of these people are, there's some big names in this. He plays the Yoda of the racing group. <laughs> well, and he's he, the older person as anyone's got any sense. Yeah, and he recognises the kind of the maverick qualities of Dave's character. And that's another thing, too, is that in this dynamic, what you would do is you would establish that Dave is great, that he's really good and the only thing keeping him back is one thing. Yeah. But generally speaking, they play Dave out as just a kind of a mediocre racer. Yeah. And a dick as well. And it's totally Such a dick. a dick. And then we have Rick and Bob, well, the son has found a woman he's attracted to and Dad says, oh, if your mum wasn't here, I'd have a go myself. The fuck, guys? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, well, also it turns out Mom is there and making across her throat. Yeah. Also... 
it's kind of fed to us early on when it's dropped. To get to Europe, you have to win all these races, and then you have to win at Bathurst. And it's really sort of laid out as a thing Dave has no chance whatsoever of doing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And from our point of view, he then just kind of has a couple of races, and it seems like Bathurst is basically the next day. Yeah. yeah. So apparently it's like some kind of points system. So you've got to accrue points throughout the year. Mm. But they've been doing this for about five minutes. And then that's another thing which is, again, done very well with Days of Thunder because Days of Thunder, <laughs> through a series of quick kind of cuts and things towards the end, establishes that Cole Trickle, who is John... Uh, who's John Malkovich? <laughs> Cole Trickle, who is Tom Cruise's character, is actually getting points. And in yeah. fact, funnily enough, it's, it's done the same in Top Gun and you can argue that Top Gun and Days of Thunder are basically the same movie, that you've got the score point climbing and you have these little weird sort of dialogue bits. But yeah, we don't ever establish the point scores and occasionally you cut to a handwriting on a form which is quite clearly a genuine scoring form from this because it made no absolutely sense no sense whatsoever no. it's not like a basketball film for example mm. but even if you don't understand basketball the audience knows that you score points higher points is gooder yeah and you score points by putting the ball through the circle <laughs> And we sports good. Yes. And as you say, yeah, you can see two sets of points next to each other. Yeah. And you want your hero to have the bigger number. Mm. Yeah. And it's not like you can't portray that. Because if you show them driving past somebody waving a chequered flag, you establish a win. That's you right. You just do a few of those. Yeah. But I guess, and this is something I've encountered in all sorts of little various areas of my life, once you get deeply into a thing and whether it's because you're passionate about it or you do a lot of research about it you get used to it you forget what it is like to have not known anything and so true and you Uh, forget that when you when you have an audience stepping into the movie you need to spoon feed them everything from the start yeah and Um, we're talking about a sport that most people don't know this is a really niche sport yeah. Even for the time. No, type it in, put sidecar racing in Australia into your search engine of choice. You'll get pages and pages of results. Oh, yeah. Because it's a very focused group of people mm. who are heavily into it. I guess, again, you know, the equivalent being stock car racing in America or, or yeah. NASCAR. But you need to establish that. You need to explain because you can't guarantee the people who are sitting down. No, a single thing about anything about it. And other than this is a really cool film with motorcycles, you need to. And had it been a documentary, that would have all been explained. And I'm sorry, but once you've thrown a million dollars Australian into this movie in 1975, you are not making a movie just for sidecar motorcycle Uh, fans. You need as big an audience as you can. Yeah. And admittedly, you only need to get their butts on the seats once, but. Yeah, yeah. There's also a problem with the sports movie format, which this very much follows, mm. in that you want to get your underdogs to the final, the cup final, the big last race, the whatever it is by the end. Mm-hmm. Trouble is, to do that, you have to keep on winning in most sports. Mm. Yes. And that means you've kind of got this chunk of the movie where your underdogs are going to start losing their underdog status because they keep winning stuff. Yes. Mm. That's where you need another conflict. Yeah, and in Major League, which is the template I'm going to in my head, you've got that someone wants to shut the team down. Yeah. Mm. And here, the biggest stake seems to be just not winning. Yes, absolutely. And the character conflicts are all over the place because Lynn is a woman straight out of a 20th century stand-up routine. (laughs) How so? 
You know, they're always changing their mind. You don't know oh, why they God, do what they're doing. Yes. Who right. understands women, huh? Yep, you're 100% right. Okay. Mm. <laughs> and the nearest they have to an antagonist in this sense is her dad. Not so much in the capacity He's as... He's only her... in a few scenes. Yeah. Not so much capacity of a dad, but apparently that he is bankrolling the whole thing or something. And how incredibly fortunate is it that... His company decided they wanted to sponsor a sidecar racing team they make to tires. Europe. Well, but it's never established they only make motorcycle tires, and there are more high-profile sports than. Yeah, but I guess it's just cheaper to start out. Yeah, I, I know you enough about tires. You were to give him a pass on that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, All right. It's tires. Bikes have tires. We'll give him a pass on that <laughs> one. Okay. Oh but my also... God! Thank God your father works in the bamboo industry because while I've been working on making arrows and learning to become a fantastic archer, they're now looking to sponsor an arrow manufacturer. No, sorry. Anyway, yes. All right. Point taken. <laughs> but he's not even an actual antagonist. At most, he's saying, "I'm just going to enforce and maintain the rules as they already are." Mm. So he's not trying to drive them out. He's just saying, "If you don't win, you won't win." Yeah. Yeah, and you know he's daughter's relationship with Dave that's not particularly problematic for dad no. he just doesn't want them shagging in his house yeah and yeah. Dave does this big how do you think she feels when you keep on going off to work it's like well she might get a bit lonely but I think she understands people go to work yeah I think you're she all grown ass adults I think she comprehends that she lives in a nice house that her dad's work has paid for yeah she's mm. not like a dog and someone disappears and then comes back eight hours later and the dog doesn't know what happened. Yes. And she's not a she baby, yes. so she doesn't think Dad stopped she has existing. <laughs> That's right. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Every now and again, her dad is stuck in a horse box so he can watch a race. Because, <laughs> really oh my God, did look it, like when that. Peter Graves was looking at the race <laughs> from the sideline, it really did seem like he was stuck in some kind of a stable. stable. Yeah, it really did. But it was just... At most, I think, yeah, I wish he didn't have to go out so often. Not, we're becoming estranged. It's not like I even have a father anymore. No. <laughs> yeah. She's still... Yeah, anyway. And again, it's just so vague. And no one establishes early on what they need to achieve to win this movie. Nobody has a goal beyond... Europe. Dave getting to Europe. And even then, we don't know why he needs to get there other than Europe. We don't have a goal for Lynn. We don't have a goal yeah, for Yeah, there Jeff. doesn't seem to be any kind of monetary no, prize. No, not at all. Yeah, no, we, no goal for anybody else. We literally see that Lynn can go back home whenever she wants. Yeah. As we find her in that incredibly nice little area looking out over the <laughs> harbour. Like I said, that's where you get that kind of vibe that she's almost a kind of a common people sort of tourist. Mm. John Malian's pratfall Ocker character is just... that He's... He's just there for for yucks. And I really... Yeah, it's almost like I thought, oh, it'd be a bit much if Dave owned the parts shop too. Yeah. We need someone else. Oh, what do you know, this up-and-coming Well, actually, guy. it would have made sense if Dave owned the parts shop. He'd be making <laughs> money, at least. Well, this is it. He'd have it's... a reason to be connected to someone who made tyres. Yeah, well, look, that's right. And this is the point. This is an important point, because let's face it, with racing... It's an expensive hobby, especially when you've got no money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't Which, really try to address this gap. No, no. and, and I, does, I does Dave work at oh, the yeah, cause, shop? Because at least at the start, Jeff is under the impression that this makes money. This is kind of like a job. Yeah. Which is something else that Dave has not told him. Yes. No. And that's why everybody then says, you know, you don't make any money from this. That's when you get the big reveal towards the end that Rick's like, no, 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 you don't do it for the money. You know, we do it for the chance of dying in front of our family members. And, you know, to Jeff's very small credit, at one point, like after he's been on the bike a bunch of times, kind of says it's a hell of a rush type mm. thing. And look, this is the thing. Hmm. I don't know whether I should say this one. 
It's, go on. It's, it's almost like the people who decided to make this movie got a real thrill out of watching this racing. Yeah. But did not understand... How to translate that? No, not necessarily that, but didn't understand where the motivation for these people to do it would come from. Right. Or yeah. how to give or, it to the audience in a sense that would make sense. Because yeah. factually you can say they do it for the rush. They enjoy that. Yeah. But if you're someone who doesn't understand more broadly what kind of rush that is or why you do something just for a rush, then it's like, oh, is that You it? need a reason. Yeah. yeah. And that's where this could have been a better documentary. Because if you then literally say... Why do you do this and hand the microphone to someone? That will automatically be an interesting answer. Absolutely. It will either be some guy going, I just do it for the rush. I just and, and it, yeah. it pins that as a yeah, whole that, shit. Or I've been doing this my whole life, my dad did it. Or they will then give you a genuinely unusual out of the blue answer. It's like, yeah, yeah you know, well the family farmers, whatever, or the you know, the whatever. And to then say, okay, this is really awesome. It's a bit like when you see a movie, a mainstream film that delves into the realm of BDSM or kink or whatever. Yeah. They always need to excuse it at the start because, because yeah, the person yeah, is a yeah. bit fucked up. Yeah. They, they can't... You can't be a well-adjusted person into... Exactly. Yeah. You can't just be a norm and also be into leather or, or lace or furry yeah. suits or whatever. So you need an excuse. And it's a bit like they decided, okay, we want to show that this was an amazing thing, which the people who do it are clearly obsessed by it. Mm. But also we need to explain why to like the people who are going to be in the cinema, because, I mean, why else would they be into it? And so, oh, romance and romantic triangles and conflict between people. And, and yeah, and just yeah, it, didn't... Yeah, it really made it seem like most of the people doing this racing didn't actually seem to like it much, which is not a good selling of we do it for the rush or even we do it because we enjoy it. And I'd be curious now, because the movie was created because the people who wanted to make the film were kind of stunned by this subculture and wanted to make a movie about it. I think they they? thought it was particularly Australian thing as well. I wonder if they still follow it, if they became fans of it, or if they just saw it as a... Even that is a more interesting story to tell. (laughs) Do you remember Metal Skin? I do not. It was that late 90s, early 2000s Aussie film about street racers that we watched thinking it was going to be an Aussie take on Fast and Furious. And it basically was just nut bars the movie. I have erased this from my memory. It was all about a guy who wanted to become a street racer and he overpowers his car and blows his tyres and is right Um. on the edge. And every other part of his life is just shit because that's the way Australian movies were being built at the time. They were making things like Muriel's Wedding and it's basically a bad boy Bubby but with cars. Mm. That kind of almost seems like what this is. This is almost like a kind of a culture dip. It's This is an amazing culture. We can absolutely take this and make a movie out of it. And now let's just sit back and watch these weird people who are into this. But, oh, that's not really a very interesting film, is it? So maybe we should do something more. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It almost seems a bit reductive for the subculture of the races. Yeah, because it seems like a lot of these people, their entire lives, all they do is sidecar race, except they don't actually like doing it much. So they seem like very empty people. The only one who actually was convinced does it because they enjoyed it was actually Peter Gwynn as Rick. Yeah, absolutely. Rick yeah. just has a ball. Even Paul Bert, the, the guy who plays his son, Bob, you do get the impression that it's just what the family does. But Rick's the one who, yeah, he's got the most eyes on himself kind of awareness of it's a bit crazy. Yeah, of course, you know, we're not going to make any money. We just do it because we do it. And somehow, maybe it was his acting, maybe it was the fact that we briefly saw his wife, who is not a racer. He was one of the few people who I thought, oh, he has a life outside of this movie. Yes. yes. Yeah. I have 
it's usually with movies that are set over a long period of time, although not only, that sometimes <laughs> you actually feel a bit sad watching some movies because it feels like all that is in these people's lives is the eventual scene in the movie. Yeah. And sometimes that is not enough to be a life. one. No. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. In Dave's case, definitely. Yeah. There is that basic sort of theory, which is, you know, is this the most interesting thing that has happened in these characters' lives? And if not, why are you not showing mm. us that? <laughs> But there is also the flip side of that, which is this can't be the only thing that has ever happened with these characters' lives. You cannot have just pulled them off the wall and pull them out of their shrink wrap and NPC them through this and then just stick yeah. them back in their shrink wrap. I get it worse when a movie's set over years and years because then that's literally almost all a character's life mm. on the screen and nothing's yeah. happened and you think... Mm. Oh, you poor people, you're only going to live, what, 100 years? And we've just seen 60 of them on screen and they look so empty and dull. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I mean, you can still portray some very interesting movies where you follow the entire life of a oh, yeah. character. Um, it's when it looks like this, this film has wait, this film has nothing to do with this film, but it's the one where I felt it the most. It's called either Clone or Womb, depending oh. on where you're watching. Uh-huh. Matt Smith and Ava Green, who you'd think of that wow. with that pair of stars you'd be in for something. Yeah. yeah. But the film just feels so sparse that even though it covers 20 or 30 years or more, you just kind of think, wow, I just kind of feel for these empty people that had nothing going on for 30 years but this ouch wow no i'm not familiar with that i might have to take that one out or maybe not if that's a Mm, yeah suggestion on this one but yeah so what's with the comment when the father and son ogling the same woman the blonde with the arthritis the fuck was that line yeah, I had arthritis with a question mark, but I thought that was a reference to the knees, so I actually got rid of that one. Yeah, I don't know the arthritis that she's... The only thing I could think of, and I, we tried to extrapolate, remember last time there was a reference to the gap in the previous podcast we recorded, yeah. which does turn out to be actually that gap in Sydney, there's a section yeah. of Sydney. All I could think from this one extrapolating was that if they've got large enough boobs, they're too heavy, so they'll be continually hunched over, so they might get... They might be... <sighs> I couldn't work it out. Because it's quite clearly some kind of a reference mm. to the fact that they excessively sexually appealing. Or mm. it's because her nipples were visible. Well, no, but top. that's not. Yeah, but that's the cold. You, that's that's a cold reference. Yeah. You don't talk yeah, about that, arthritis. arthritis. doesn't do that. No. no. So, yeah, I'm not that too sure. That was just weird. That was a little bit unusual. So, yeah, it's very strange. And so, yeah, we do kind of have a crisis moment between the two races when... Is this before or after the party scene? Oh, you mean the party on the beach sequence? Yeah. Yeah, well, which clearly the first thing they were missing was a a lubed-up saxophonist blowing his horn in, in front of a burning pyre because, as we know, no beach sequence, especially a beach sequence with motorcycles, is complete without an oiled up muscle-bound saxophonist. I just um, keep... That Red Foo song is going through my head. Where you meet the only couple other women in the film with speaking lines. Mm. Yes. Yes. We've got the first success celebration. Yeah. And that's a fun little weird one as well. So we have this beach party. Yeah, so, like, they win a race, and Jeff says, we'll start saving for Europe tomorrow tonight, we're getting on the beers. Yeah. Mm. And they have a big party, and everyone turns up, and then there's a stoush because you've got the leader of the gang who's angry at Dave for having killed the father, the son, no brother, oh, brother. brother. Sorry, the brother. I keep. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I lose track of all the various brothers and fathers and things. So killed the brother. Now, but that those... then, then th- someone says who invited you. I'm just like this is your party. This is your party. You invite. Yeah, oh, I could understand if word just got round. 
Yeah, they're, true. They're, yeah, they're on the beach. It's the sidecar racing community. Yeah. So it's out in public. And so I can't imagine why he'd want to come other than, of course, trouble. But I don't have any issue with the fact that he managed to turn up at all. Yeah. But uh, why say to Jeff, you know, what are you doing here? It's like, this is my party, man. The other thing about this that felt really weird just before the party is the wind felt unearned. Nothing changed. No, you're right. You're 100% right. And again, this is another area where Days of Thunder did it better because... <laughs> With Days of Thunder, they only get their first win after the driver and the mechanic's characters yeah. come to an agreement. So we need to see Jeff have a breakthrough. We need to see some kind of a connection between Jeff and Dave. Beyond him just yelling, now you've got it, now you've got it, yeah. it's fine. Something needs to have happened so that they suddenly become that team, otherwise they're just sort of failing. And even the bracelet, that could have been another point. So Dave's oh, yes. bracelet, which... His lucky bracelet. Well, it hasn't brought you any luck so far, but keep going. Well, this was the thing, because I kind of was like, well, okay, clearly it's not lucky, mm. so it must be important. <laughs> not lucky for his bleeding passengers. So how do we establish maybe it's made of previous bike parts or something? I mean, as we've oh, discovered... That would have been very cool. They literally just leave the motorbikes lying in the middle of the racetrack, burnt out, as we saw when they go back to the racetrack the night with the mini moke. It's literally just sort of still sitting there in the middle <laughs> of the field. You think some smart sort of be able to Frankenstein together a new bike out of all those bits? Yeah. That'd be a more interesting movie. <laughs> And we never learn where he gets the other... Oh, no, he sells the mini-moke and suddenly can afford two yeah. new motorbikes. Yeah, we just Although don't really go really through the... one. We don't really go through the get the new bike part. He just has it. No. Yeah. But, yeah, he's, he sells his car after... Oh, it's John, such a beautiful car, too. John Mayon has some... They're probably as safe as a sidecar. Yes. He's got a very healthy attraction to that. His delivery's a bit weird, and he kind of pauses afterwards as if he's not sure he meant to say it like that. Well, that was no, what I was saying. What John Mayon says. You know, Dave's a... He's a funny guy. That's a great car. But basically, he really is. He's a good guy. What? What? Yeah. Now, okay, the, yes... Well, no, it's, I was going to say this is early in his career. This is not early in John Malian's career, but he's still got some pretty huge roles ahead of him. So it's about mid for his career, but with better and improved kind of roles coming up. Like I said, I swear, twice and once in particular, he barrel looks the camera. It's like no one's given him any directing. No one's told him what he needs to be. He just needs to be odd. I'm comparing him to the garage owner from Midnight Spares. Not yeah. Ian McFadden. What was the name of the, the actor? Yeah. Okay. He's at least establishes what he's meant to be. A slightly weirdly ethnic, easily angered and upset person. Whereas right from the word go with John Malian getting slowly angrier and angrier at the guys who were there to buy his stuff. Yeah. Nothing gels and so you've got a weird non-performance out of the guy who we know can do better so yeah it is very strange and i was saying to callum about the acting in this being really bad and he said you know it wasn't necessarily that it just looks like they've been mm. given nothing to work with i was actually going to mention that because yeah i was really surprised when he said the acting's not great and i was like why how could this cast stuff it up so much and then, yeah, I actually was listening to the dialogue. Now... Six-tenths of fuck all, I think. Pretty much six-tenths of fuck all for the dialogue and what the material they were given. I will say there is a point where John Clayton, who plays Dave, really chews the scenery when he talks about Europe. And remember, he brings his fists up about how awesome Europe's going to be, like two or three times as he's delivering the importance of Europe in the first part. Yeah. It's very hammy. Yes. Really, really hammy. Europe, that's a place. Some of the fights, speaking of the earlier sequence, they're not great either. 
Oh, oh my, god. my god, they're so bad! I, I actually think I wrote, there are some really well choreographed fight scenes in cinema and this was not one of them. The very yeah. first fight that the two have in the, the garage in particular is hilarious. I think every second punch lands. It's like, oh, the space several centimetres in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, Okay, this is probably as good a point as any. One of my main takeaways from this movie is that this movie is a feature-length version of an 80s TV show episode. It's Dukes of Hazard. it's... It has to resolve. They get the money for the orphanage. Not always. And it was really funny because I was continually getting... And I thought initially it was just because of the actors, that Peter Graves and Ben Murphy both spoke to me as very definitely that kind of actor I would have seen on television. But then when I watched the closing credits, as I mentioned, it's The Incredible Hulk right down to the point where he's walking away with the slow piano music playing over the closing credits. Yeah, you want Lonely Man playing there. You really... Yeah, it's a TV show. It's an 80s television show in 1975 on the big screen. Yeah, and he's going to wander to the next town where he gets lured into a different sport and has to, I don't know, sell something else. Yeah, Yeah. when he becomes massively committed to fly fishing as the person who catches the hook in his teeth on the back throw or something. (laughs) Yeah, or someone spots him picking up some groceries and goes, he's our new champion weightlifter. (laughs) (laughs) Makes about as much sense. Absolutely. So, so yeah, and we end up with this... We didn't mention that, so Dave's gone off. Jeff and Leon jump in the moak, go down to grab Dave. Mm. They do a few laps Mm -hmm. around the circuit. They drift a mini-moke, which is very impressive. Apparently it was a very unsafe car at the time, and so you have your principles inside. And then Lynn and Dave just burst into singing I Love Aeroplane Jelly. I like Aeroplane Jelly. Were they that hard up for the million dollars? They had to lay down some advert singles? (laughs) It was really weird because I did not notice a vast amount of product placement. Oh no, I just had Skippy flashbacks to the second Elven Purple. (laughs) I did suddenly get the urge to buy a lot of Caltex oil. Oh yes! Yes. Yes. (laughs) And interesting... And Winfields. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, interestingly, despite the fact that there was Winfield advertising everywhere, there's only one person who smokes in the whole film. Yeah, that's really surprising, hey? Yeah, it was Peter Graves' character, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You probably shouldn't be working on an engine while smoking, though. Oh, God, yeah. Like, that stopped anybody in cinema all through the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, oh, 70s and the 80s. Yeah, I, I just watched Battlestar Galactica and Dr. Cottle smoking all through surgery and stuff. Though I, yeah. That's made recently enough. I think that's the point. Yeah. Oh, it's actually meant to be a gag? Okay, yeah. And that's a really weird thing because all you're showing, when you're watching something from the mid-70s, all you're showing is literally people who would have been smoking anyway. So you almost have to have made a conscious choice for people to Pretty not much. smoke yeah. or mm. not include that as part of a standard thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's an incredibly smoky movie. You don't think of it at first, but as soon as you notice it, it's you just get lung cancer from watching it. What's that? Blade Runner? Ghostbusters. Yes, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of smoking in yeah, Ghostbusters. Yeah, and you don't really think of how much there is because of just the kind of film it is. But I think last time I went to, ah, they're smoking in front of the smoking sign, which is his kind of sub gag and that made me sort of look at how much they were smoking and I was like God Bennett and then So we, if you're trying to quit smoking don't watch Ghostbusters. <laughs> and obviously the Surgeon General sent a memo out by the time the second one came around <laughs> because I think there's virtually if no smoking yeah, in there. Right. Mm. Of course by that point they were also the stars of a Saturday morning cartoon series which might have had little to do with it. That's very true. <laughs> and I remember gags like Ray having the cigarette hanging off his lip which yeah. I always thought was kind of yeah. kind of cool and he was able to actually start talking without it and stuff and yeah there's a lot of smoke inside the car god that Ectomobile must stink mm. I don't care I still want it yes oh no absolutely the car's amazing <laughs> 
Speaking of that, you know they did a new issue of Ectotron of the figure. I did not. Still around the $60, $70 mark then? I don't know. I just saw the notice of it coming. He's got a different oh. face. It's like he's got a, a mask pulled up. Oh, really? He's basically a COVID-safe Ecto. I guess he is, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I actually genuinely kind and of like And it's like that. his goggles are now pulled down over his eyes instead of uh, sitting on top uh, of his head. Else. Oh, no, that part I'm not too happy about. For Ghostbusters' point of view, I'd want the goggles on top of the head, so mm. I didn't realise they were available until it was already like 150 200 bucks. They just like a week ago announced this one. Oh, and... well, I will definitely keep an eye out for that because I do like that. And... Uh, Nice. Anyway, sorry, this is a sort of a sideline. So there's a couple of things I want to mention just about that, the party sequence and what happens immediately afterwards. So we have our beach party. We have our weird Karate Kid gang fight sequence on the beach party that's so bizarre because apparently it's meant to be Dave set up the party to celebrate. Can I yeah. jump in because it's just before that? Yeah, no. So we're at the beach party. Then we've got a band and there's a woman singer of this band is just dancing away and walking through the party with no mic and it was just very odd. Because the voice was clearly mic'd. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It is a bit like, I think, one of those, uh, definitely a song they must have paid for or got an artist to perform. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, back to you, Gallon. Oh, no, 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 that's right. That's okay. So we've had our win and we have our weird, each of them is allowed a kiss of Lynn. So Lynn kisses Dave because they're very happy and then... She turns to Jeff and Dave goes, yeah, go on, one for the win or something. And then the They're partners in everything. They're partners in everything. This is what really great. Now that me. could have been a better movie. There we go. Especially because Dave was the first one to say it. Yeah. It made it sound like, I give you permission to do this. Absolutely. In the sense that yeah. you do not have the autonomy to do it otherwise. Absolutely. That's, mm. yeah. And there are ways to play... I know I'm your girlfriend, but it's a big moment. I want to kiss your friend. Mm. There are ways to do that. I've seen it happen in real life. In fact, I was the friend once in real life. Aww, <laughs> lovely. But this really made it sound, first made it sound like they owned her. Mm. Yes. And then it made her sound like a possession they shared. Yes. And she was very much a possession of Dave's. Yeah. Sexy yeah. lampshade. Yeah. And that her personality is all over the place, a bunch of mood swings and confusing stereotypes and what is going on, that doesn't help. Yeah. Mm. So you don't get to kind of think, ah, that's just what she's like. She just likes to bounce around and kiss people. And Dave was just saying that to mess about because he clearly meant it as a, I am allowing you. Yes, mm. but he knows she wants to as well. Yeah. But it's not a kind of a... It's just a weird relationship. It's not a kind of, oh, go on in the sense of I wouldn't actually be stopping you. It's I'm just playing to the bit. Yes, here yeah. is the permission. And to mention the Wraith, the weird Cheryl and Penn's character and Packard in the movie, Packard's the lead bad guy who notionally... Cheryl and Fenn's character is his girl. And that's played as a creepy thing. And that's played as yeah. a, one of the aspects of why he's the bad guy. Yes. It's almost identical in this because we've only just established that they're actually together in any way that means anything. And even then it seems to be this very open, I can leave whenever I want to sort of thing. It's... And suddenly that she's his property to pass over and allow a kiss, but not too long. They make a meal out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can even... I'm remembering other movies where... It's played as almost a kind of a fun, jokey thing about the girlfriend kissing somebody else. Was somebody he else, even... Somebody else. Was he indifferent to Lynn? Was Dave indifferent to Lynn until Jeff turned up? And then uh, he's like, oh, someone else wants her. Could be. Because they had such a weird mood swing on-off relationship, it's hard to tell mm. if they've just been doing this forever. Yeah. And that was the other thing. is So quite clearly you've got yourself a male. I don't 
recall a single female cast member in any significant role in this. When I say significant, I mean down to like catering or, or whatever. So clearly this is a movie written by guys about a guy sport in a guy environment. Yeah. It's that classic issue of not knowing how to write a female character. Probably trying too hard in some ways to write a female character. Yeah. And so you end up with the woman who's just hanging around on the couch reading Women and... What's the, what's Women the magazine? And Women and Home magazine. She, she just turns like, it up. It would have made sense if she was really into bikes. And yeah. that would have gone back to the Fast and Furious if she mm. was really into cars. And she just seems to hang around Dave just because, you know, she hangs around Dave. And when she's presented an incredibly sexy person that has genuinely caught her eye, literally, genuinely <laughs> she has noticed from afar yeah. in a literal sea... Of other surfers, and I'm going to say one other thing here is that Jeff Rayburn clearly, you know, does leg day because dude's got calves. When he comes oh, out of the water, he has big solid. So the most feminist thing she does is not just immediately buy Dave a new bike. Mm. The most feminist thing she does is not doing housework. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I did like him vacuuming around. That was her. kind of cool. Yeah. Though her dad sort of does a huh, still can't get her to do housework. Well, it's not her house, dude. Yeah. yeah. Well, I get it. She like lived. On and off lived there. Mm. True. I mean, that's why she didn't commit to living there, because as soon as you actually live there, there... You have to cook and do the vacuuming. Yeah. She just sort of rocks up. We're post-party, and we now establish that Dave and Lynn are together because they have victory sex. And that drives Jeff up the wall, and he has to do go Do they have out. sex, or do they just giggle in a bed? No, nah, I kind of got the impression they were, they were doing they were. it yes. big time. It's yes. a PG movie. Um, They're the same thing. Yeah, well, that's exactly <laughs> <laughs> A train enters the tunnel. And we have a weird little cut, which was a bizarre, and I don't know if it was from the film or the edit on the DVD, where mm. he says... I was a bit of a big hero, trying to rescue a lady in... Yeah, yeah. that was... Weird. Something about rescuing a lady in distress, but then, yeah, there was just a... Oink, just cut. Cut. Yeah, did um, someone they couldn't get clearance for wander into shot at that point, I, or is yeah, it just it was a like, weird edit? No. Cut out mid-sentence or something. So we'd possibly worth mentioning at this point that, yes, sure enough, this is indeed a fantastic Umbrella video, and this is another one of those ones where it is literally just the film, it auto-starts, yeah. there's no special features. So I believe this is another one of the ones where Umbrella is quite clearly doing an archive process rather than anything else which does not seem to be a good sign for the movie in question because no. we've only encountered this a couple of times and, and plug it was plug yes yeah There's, unlike plug and this will sound redundant but this seems to be a movie that people who like it like mm. it yes if you see what i mean yes. yeah yeah we're gonna get a whole lot of hate on this one i know i'm feeling bad about being so negative but well, i do think at least part of it is none of us really knew anything about sidecar racing no. or particularly Let's be honest, cared much about it before seeing this movie. Well, yeah, yeah but... but... Okay, I know absolutely nothing or care nothing about baseball, but I will watch A League of Their Own... Mm. True, true. ...or Fields of, Dr uh, Field of Dreams. That one, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying at the start, is if you were going to make a movie where you've got a core thing which is about something which people might be a little bit interested in but might not know very much about, you have to treat them like idiots. Their hand. Pushing, well, not like idiots. You need to make it attractive. Yeah, because at yeah. the end of the day, you've only got what? Is it 11 stories now? It used to be like only nine stories, but I think it's gone to 11 stories now that you can have, that you can tell. There's only like one of 11 basic oh, stories. I see. Right. Well, as I said before, this is the sports movie for yes. So, yeah, then we have a sequence where Jeff goes out all angry and sits on the bike and revs it. And weirdly, we then discover that John Malian lives near them. Because yeah, they're all he lives together. Upstairs. Yeah. And at one point, Dave says, what the hell's that? It's like, hmm, maybe it's a motorbike? Plus, also, I will point out at this point that the, the cricket noises outside are the most generic 
television show cricket. cricket they are surround. the television generic cricket noises that you would clearly be able to just get off the shelf. So then Lynn goes downstairs to have a bit of a heart-to-heart with him. Nothing's really much said. This weird, janky double cut at one mm. point as well. Mm. It's another little sequence, which I guess was maybe from the original film, where they cut back and forth like a half a second. Yeah. And, yeah, and then she goes back to Dave and... There's a question about what she said to him. Does Jeff wander off at that point? No, she just said she's going to be quiet, so he goes back to sleep, I thought. Back to bed. Dave wakes up the following morning and Jeff's gone and, she, and he says, what did no, you Lynn's say? Gone. Oh, Lynn's, Lynn's gone. Lynn's gone. Not in there. Taking a suitcase and buggered off again. You didn't say something last night, did you? We talked, yeah. About what? What the hell is there to talk about? Nothing. Well, you must have said something. Something bugging you? Yeah, there's something bugging me. Look, why don't you try to act like a human being for a change, Dave? You know, if you really care for this chick, why don't you show her once in a while? Maybe she want to stick around more then. You giving me advice or something? Yeah, you can call it that if you want. Do I advise you to take a bit more notice of them books? No. But I'm not sleeping with these books, Dave. And it doesn't go with the usual... Nothing. Nothing. He's he says, like, we talked. Mm. He says precisely the thing to make Dave even more annoyed. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Which, again, that weird freaking dynamic. Then Jeff tells Dave some of the things that he probably needs to consider better in his life. And Dave says, what, are you trying to give me advice now? It's like, yes. Yeah, he that's was literally exactly. Uh, yeah. Then Dave goes to Carson's house. It was AstroTurf. Yeah, in Carson's inside. place. When we the first time he goes Graves. to the house of Lynn's father. Hmm. So do we get the impression that Peter Graves was maybe just on holiday in Australia at the time and they decided that they really would like to use him? Because Peter Graves was right between his Mission Impossible flying high period, wasn't he? He was... Yeah. Hmm. And that was actually one of the other things which kind of did this film some harm because it meant that there were a couple of sequences that played out in the movie that I could not take seriously because Peter Graves' subconscious flying high influence was there in the background. The sequence where Jeff goes off after his big scariness about people will die on motorbikes. Yeah. And there's all the flashbacks that play. It was almost like it was a pastiche. So high. It was just I just kept waiting for it to cut into sequences that were totally irrelevant to the movie as opposed mm. to literally just stuff that we saw 40, 50 minutes ago. Yes. On the note of those scenes, the running gag about the front door is not as funny as they think it is. It really <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So the front door's open because of air conditioning. Oh, my God, the front door's open. Yeah, it's always open. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which, although apparently was something that really weirded out non-Australians. Yeah, particularly Americans were very surprised that Australians would just have the front door open. And when I went back wow. to the UK in 93, yeah. I can remember that a lot of people asked me about neighbours. And oh, one yeah. of the things they said is, do you guys really just leave your front doors open so anyone can walk in? And it's like... Always. Yeah. So in case you're from a foreign country and don't know mm. about this... Australians leave their front door open. Depends on where you're in the house. Well, if you're in the house. But, yeah, and it is completely acceptable if you're friends with the people who are in the house to knock on the door as you enter. Yep. Yep, we absolutely do that. That is a thing. Yep, just call out. And you're most likely not going to get shot. No. Probably. Probably. Though apparently you might have bike parts thrown at you. (laughs) Yes! Jesus. I do like that little bit of reality in shoes when that happens, throws that and he's like, whoa, hey, that cost like 50 bucks. Yeah, 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 because he's apparently, you know, in an incredibly expensive sport, especially when you've got no money. So I think, yeah, we've bounced around a bit, but we basically sort of hit all the main points. 
We have our big final race in Bathurst. All of our major bike riders there. This makes the part at the end. In the last race, because Jeff's gone for a 10 minute retirement and decides he's not going to race in the last race, but Jeff still wants to. And he calls in some other guy, I've forgotten the oh, other guy's this, name. this dude who randomly turns up about a third of the way into the film and becomes the person who's standing constantly beside Lee. Oh yeah, we're just like, who are you? Yeah, this random mechanic guy who makes an appearance and is there and is cheering and helping and then suddenly he's notionally the person to call. Yeah, anyway, yes. Yeah. But instead of making it look like Dave's been driven to desperation to get another partner because his existing partner has gone off, it just makes it look like, oh, so can just anyone do that then? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which... Yeah, they did have kind of the idea of, again, another dropped opportunity when, towards the end of Top Gun, after Goose has died and Maverick needs a secondary person in the cockpit and the idea that, you know, somebody would step up and be there for him if he needed. I honestly, I think it would have been much more powerful if, say, Rick had stepped up and said, I'll be your offsider. But obviously they're racing themselves. We haven't established anybody else's. I mean, hell, John Malian, if he'd come out of retirement or be prepared to be there, you'd make it a wacky joke, for God's sake. But yes, this random person almost felt like they suddenly realised they didn't have anybody, maybe a third of the way through production. So they back-created this character who hadn't appeared in the beginning and then was suddenly... Well, we haven't finished these early scenes yet, so get him to stand in the background of them. Yeah, and then he was just the person. And then there was that brief kind of, oh, can I want to have a go? And then, yeah, he just... Then he's like, Have you? I was just keeping the seat warm for you. Off you go. Yeah, yes. oh, it's strange. Then there's the Dave's racing like an old lady sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. Or, or depending on the old lady. Dave's not racing like Dave usually does. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. He is. Yeah. <laughs> another oh my god and this is another again and this is more top gun necessarily than days of thunder although they do it in days of thunder too he's too scared fine establish that he's scared but he's not the one who saw the dead bodies he's not the one who's been affected well he, he saw the dead bodies as well he's not the one who's been affected by seeing the Jeff. dead races yeah uh, no 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 dave dave is the guy who's choosing the speed of the motorbike yeah yeah yeah, yeah. dave is not driving hard yeah but we what don't do know say, why. What do you mean Dave hasn't seen the dead bodies? No, that's what I'm saying. I made a mistake. Dave had seen the dead bodies oh, sorry, as well. Sorry, sorry, sorry. All right. But Dave has not been affected by them. Jeff was the one who was prepared to walk away. Yeah. Dave has seen this happen before. Dave has stood by while he's owned. But we haven't established that Dave is now suddenly afraid of racing. No. There's no reason for him to be slow, as Daria says. And there's no reason for him to suddenly get better. Well, they have a pit stop and someone says you're driving like an old woman or whatever it is. And it's like, oh, all right, then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Problem and solved. This would have made a bit more sense if the other bloke had been in the seat up until that point. Yeah. Then Jeff returns, and that's when Surely he... that would disqualify you. I don't know if that does. No. Plot-wise, it would make more sense. Actually, yeah, because it really would. And Dave is the only name listed, because it always lists the driver and not the passenger. But, Unlike yeah. scoreboards and shit. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know if you can change passengers halfway through, but... <laughs> it can be for the sake of the movie... In yeah. plot terms, that would make a lot more yeah. sense, or at least not doing the, Dave, you need to drive better. Oh, hadn't thought of that. Cheers. <laughs> now, it's just, yeah, pretty much it. To Top Gun, Days of Thunder parallel this. Top Gun and Days of Thunder are like the race of this I know, movie. Well, they really are, and I don't but it is it's literally almost these parallels. So in Top Gun, this moment is resolved when Maverick refuses to engage in the fight. And you have his Rio yelling at him behind him. Yeah. And he begins to hear it as Goose's words. Now, whether or not you... I've never worked out whether they actually got Anthony Edwards to actually record some of the dialogue. But you see him go through that whole process, yeah. recognise what's going on. The Days of Thunder take is that he's scared, he's scared, he's scared. He goes through the crash sequence, which is where he previously creamed his car, makes it out the other end, 
bang, he's fine, and yeah. drops the hammer, and he goes for it. That doesn't happen here. You're right, he just... It's not even Back to the Future, who are you calling chicken? Mm. It's just, oh, I, I need to go faster. Yeah, shit, I should probably I, go I faster breaks, if I need to read the rest. Uh, yep. And it's never explained how he makes up a lap and a half. He's... Oh, no, sorry. The, the protagonist guy, comes off too. The other guy, that's right, that's right, yes. The leader and the secondary guy do. Sorry, no, it is. Yeah. It is. Pull back on that one. Yeah. I, the other guy's okay. a lead of 10 seconds and we yeah. kind of go, okay, I guess that's a lot. There was a very long 10 seconds dialogue sequence in there. I didn't know enough about how things work to know how that affected things or if there was some kind of everyone has to pit stop built in or whatever. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was which, very strange. Which I think there would have to be because, you know, the 1,000cc motorbikes are going to be running out of petrol a lot. Yeah, and I will say the the race sequences are great. Really it is, good. It is this really one's bad really first. good. Um, yeah, and in a way that I don't recall having seen for a while with genuine race footage, like actual broadcasting of races. There, this one seems to capture that drop. I should have actually looked. Yeah, I should have actually looked to remember what it is. And it's not Mount Panorama. Mount Panorama is amazing. And oh my god. Oh, that the section of road you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you mm. think anyone listening will know this? No, but it matters to me. <laughs> well, we probably already pissed off the... Uh, Every streetcar racer and enthusiast, yes. Yes. Uh, Terribly so sorry. Much. So I do want to get the actual name of that particular... There we go, Circuit Facts. Sorry. There's a descent down the mountain. Yes, kidding. Bye-bye. I knew you didn't want to... Uh, right, okay. Got to try and remember what it actually is. I think it's Skyline. Really highlighted how large a drop that yeah that double s down the side of the hill really is and it was really cool and to do it because i've only ever really registered cars going down there so basically this is our main motor racing circuit in australia this is our oh god i mean it's our indianapolis 500 really it's daytona i suppose because there's so many different motor races that happen there mm. but i've never really registered motorcycle racing as being a thing there at all where did the motorcycles race Phillip then? island the big motorcycle racing circuit in Australia, I always thought was Phillip Island. So, yeah, but this race at least is done. And we have a big win, and our guys make it through, and then there's a gigantic crash, or rather there's a gigantic crash right towards the end, and our guys make it through, because a gigantic crash has the baddies shunting Rick Horton, which is weird as well, but you get... Jeff and Dave coming from behind, making it right to the front, and then suddenly it's a stoush between second and third? Yeah. Which, it was a bit confusing. Yeah. But we have a massive crash and our Yoda is killed. Yeah, a, an empty van explodes. Yes. yes. Because it goes through the Libyans, because it is actually a sky blue <laughs> Volkswagen combi. But as far as I can tell, I think it actually is just an empty, empty van. I don't think it has innards. No, I no. looking at the way it crunched, it looked very similar to the original Road Warrior, the caravan. Oh, no, it is a van. Sorry, no, a van that the first big crash happens when they're racing away from the police. Mm-hmm. And it's quite clearly, a, a, you know, an empty husk of a van that's yeah. just been kind it of It just creamed. looked weird because... Well, apart from the fact it's an empty van, the bike crashes into it, then the bike explodes, and then the van's just like, <laughs> well, what the hell, explode too. <laughs> With exactly the same exploding noise too. Again, yes. another one of those really cheap sound effects so that you can get off a record, I would imagine. So apparently it was an empty shell except for some dynamite? <laughs> well, you've got to store your dynamite in an empty shell. I mean, that's just that's just common sense. Yeah, you know, where else would you store it except right beside a big motorcycle race on a big track? Yeah. Mm. I saw a Mythbusters or something showing how... Oh, do not explode. Yeah, how difficult it is for a car to explode. Mm. Yes. 
Yeah, I remember that they ended up shooting tracer rounds through a fuel tank. Tracer rounds, of course, being rounds that actively catch fire when they're fired, when they're shot. And, yeah. still and in this case, it wouldn't even have been the fuel tank. It would have been the cargo area. Yeah. yeah. So we have our win, our big victory, our heroes succeed in achieving their vague goal and bodies are strewn all over the tracks. Mm. And everybody learns the lesson of how dangerous it is to race, except the ones who don't learn that lesson because they're going to Europe. Yeah, we have a big final, not standoff, but a big final discussion between Jeff and Dave. Yeah, apparently he's completely devastated if Jeff won't passenger him in Bathurst, but doesn't need... He's got time to trade up a new victim. Yeah, doesn't need anyone in Europe. No, but at one point, I swear Dave says to Jeff, you've always wanted to go to Europe. Yeah, he does. I swear that line is in there. It is. What do you mean? He's always... He's literally... You didn't know him five weeks ago or whatever. And they do a lot of flying around, by the way. They they go to Perth and Adelaide and, (laughs) and, you know, for 1975, there would have been a lot of travelling around. Yeah. This weird concept that Jeff's goal is Dave's goal because Dave really wants it a lot. Dave is projecting or... Dave is kind of assuming that his goal must be Jeff Gold because Jeff doesn't seem to have any goals of his own. Yeah, no one has a goal except for Dave. I was just about to say, this could have actually been a genuinely... Oh, genuinely interesting, that's right. That sounds so reductive. I'm sorry. This could have been a way more interesting movie if there was some way of showing that Dave has almost been blinding himself to the fact that nobody else actually has his goal. But everybody else is just like going Like, if Dave was, like, ride, really literally. charismatic, this would work. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that's the problem with Dave being a dick, because from Jeff onwards, nobody has any reason to be around him. No. Jeff has no reason to be around him because he's going to get him killed. Lynn has no reason to be around him because he's a dickhead and does not treat her even remotely with respect. Carson has no reason to be around because, first off, he's not treating his daughter with any respect and also he's insulting him in his own home and there's no reason for him to be there. Ocker just is Ocker. And (laughs) all the racers don't need to be around Dave because he's a burned-out person who's not half as good as he thinks he is as far as they're all concerned and keeps killing his passengers. Yeah, you've uh, pretty much summed it up. (laughs) In this world, and yes, we have acknowledged, sadly, that people die, but... How many passengers die on your watch before someone says, hang on, I think I spotted the problem? Yeah, Yeah. I see the common denominator. Yes. Is that why they had to get a random surfer to be his sidecar guy? That's why they had to get an American. All the Australians know his rep. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. But the problem is, is we don't have... We've got none of the, the properly established common goals that are necessary for two people who kind of sort of hate each other in a funny minimal way yeah. to get along you don't have the Riggs and Murtaugh need to get along because they're cops that need to solve crimes you don't have yeah. you know family members who need to stay together because they're brothers you don't have you've got nothing that ties these two together and you don't have the concept of Dave as Captain Ahab you could work that you could make that a really interesting little mm. idea that you you have Jeff go along for the ride because he's almost, you know, he himself is fascinated by or obsessed with another person's obsession. Yeah. But you don't even get that. You don't no. even get He's just there to bum around and maybe he might want to do something that isn't actively going to have his head 30 centimetres off sandpaper tarmac. Three centimetres. <laughs> well, three, yes. Dave's default emotion is borderline annoyed, yes. pissed off, means that during the part where it looks like he can't go to Europe at all because he has no bike. It's supposed to be 
this that is should really, be shattering. Yeah, yeah, but instead, because of how he usually is, it comes across as, oh, that kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. He gets over that pretty damn fast. And so we end with, well, they win Bathurst. Dave's off to Europe. Yep. Jeff says he's not going. Lynn says she's got to go with Jeff. He needs me. That's it. Yeah. And our hero just yeah. walks away. Bill Bixby walks off into the evening rain with his haversack over his shoulder. The Hulk. Bill uh-huh. Bixby played uh-huh. the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. And literally almost every episode ends with Bill Bixby's Incredible Hulk wandering off yeah. into the distance with sad piano Ooh. music. And that was the thing. And that was where it really, right at the very end, it hit for me that this was an episode of The Dukes of Hazard. It was an episode of Blue Thunder. And interestingly, Earl Bellamy who's the director of this, went on to direct a lot of episodes of all those types of shows. Yeah. Ben Murphy came from that. Peter Graves came from those kinds of TV shows. And yeah, it... Maybe they were hoping you get a series out of this. Maybe there's some backdoor I... pilot that... Maybe, maybe. But then the series would have to take place in Europe and they couldn't afford to do it. <clears throat> Figured that the series would follow Jeff getting <laughs> roped into Why? a weird situation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was some incredible footage of motorcycle racing. There's a lot of it. Very good skills. Lots of very clever camera work, especially for 1975. You can see where a lot of the money of this movie went. But as a delivery method for anybody who's not already deeply sold on the concept of sidecar racing, seems a bit Mm. meh. Yeah, it was just dull, unfortunately. As an internet games reviewer that I follow has said, it's kind of the worst kind of not great. It just wasn't particularly easy to... It's not Plan 9 from Outer Space. It's not The Room. It's not something hilariously funny, terribly bad. The acting was perfectly rudimentary. Even if this was fast-paced, it would have improved. Mm. Maybe we should have watched it on one and a half speed or something. (laughs) Oh, that would have been perfect. The motorcycle racing parts for me were actually, yeah, like I said, I could feel myself getting into that zone of, this is something I enjoy watching, this is a Bathurst, this is a motor vehicles of some description going around a track. And then it was interrupted by really annoying (laughs) non-story. So sorry. Which is a shame because all of the actors in this, of the main parts were skilled this could have been a lot more this was definitely a movie that for me at least failed to meet the sum of its parts yeah yeah i'm only giving it one and a half cans of caltex wow i'll give it two strewn bodies (laughs) and just watch the last race and you're good (laughs) so is this a nut it's except for the final race except for the final race the final race the 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 final race is yup yep the rest of the movie is nut (laughs) that makes sense yeah Mm. Really sorry to be so negative to all the people who worked on this yeah, movie. It does. Who all went on to do wonderful things. Yes. All right. <laughs> I think we kind of said everything on that one. Yeah. Sort I, of ended on a bit of a damp squib. <laughs> I guess until we see you all again in April, I've been Daria. I'm probably November. And I'm still Callum. Thank you for listening. Yay. Thank you for listening to Daria, November and Callum on Podsploitation, the Osploitation podcast. More episodes are available at anchor.fm slash podsploitation, on YouTube or via your podcatcher of choice. Find us on Facebook or Twitter as Podsploitation or send emails to podsploitation at gmail.com. If you'd like to help support the show, you can donate any currency in any amount at paypal.me slash podsploitation. Theme music is Creation Time by Kilocuts. Use of their kind permission under Creative Commons. Find and purchase their work at musicbrowser.de. Sidecar Races is copyright of Universal Pictures. 
all other clips are for review and commentary purposes only, remain the copyright of their respective holders and no claim for infringement is intended. Hygiene note, podcast has been touched by human hands. And feline paws. Podsploitation is a moment of mayhem production. Thank you.